will be in Philippians chapter 3, verses 15 through 21. This handbook on human flourishing, St. Paul's exhortations to a church he planted in the city of Philippi. Much to be gleaned from these texts. All of us, then, who are mature should take such a view of things. And if on some point you think differently, that too God will make clear to you. Only let us live up to what we have already attained. Join together in following my example, brothers and sisters, and just as you have us as a model, keep your eyes on those who live as we do. For, as I have often told you before and now tell you again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction, their God is their stomach, and their glory is in their shame. Their mind is set on earthly things, and, but our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. This is the word of the Lord. You guys can grab your seats. That was close. That was really close, guys. Here's the deal. While it's, while it's such an intimate community through the summer, we're going to practice. Those of you that are here every summer, we're going to practice it. So this fall, when we get tons of new visitors and lots of the kids come back from college, whenever we say, this is the word of the Lord, it's going to be like this firm, thanks be to God. And people will immediately know, oh, we say thanks be to God after the reading of scripture. All right? All right, good. Um, listen, full disclosure, this five-day silent retreat that I just returned from, I did not take a phone. I did not take my computer. I took nothing but my Bible. And so uh, my regular preparation and time in sermon prep, it, it is vastly underdone, but I am way prayed up. And so uh, what I'm going to do this morning is I've got a rough outline here. I'm going to throw stuff at the wall and whatever sticks, sticks. Then we're going to pray and take communion. Sound good, y'all? Would you join me in taking a deep breath and let's... Uh, Let's listen to what the Spirit has to say through this text to us this morning. Holy Spirit, now, as the word has been opened, the gathering of the church is never centered on the preacher, on the worship leader. The gathering of the church is always around the words of God and the cup and the bread where we partake of communion together as a family. This has been the focus of the church for thousands of years, and I ask that this text would promote greater togetherness amongst us and that we, Father, would have in our hearts revelation, consolation, conviction, correction, comfort, all of these things from this passage. In Jesus' name, amen. So I have this distinct memory. I was probably in about eighth grade and I was getting ready to go into my freshman year of high school. And of course, like every other junior high guy, I was insecure about virtually everything in my body, life, mind, and way of being. And so I was trying to figure out who I was, who I wanted to be. And I've always, from a very, very young age, been drawn to the James Dean, Rebel Without a Cause character for some reason. I've always had a kind of bent to do it differently than everybody else and make sure that I was upsetting the status quo. So I remember I was walking to Cook's Food Town in my little hometown to get a Snickers bar or whatever. And there walking in front of me was none other than the great Jason Summers. 
Now, Jason Summers, my eighth grade year, had graduated from high school, and this man was renowned for his antics. He was a good-looking, tall, dark, and handsome, rebel without a cause, known for his ability to out-party everybody, but also still play football. He was the quarterback of the football team. And Jason was walking in, and he had this way of walking about him, this swagger, as he was walking into Cookstown in front of me, and I was just, I was just stunned by the glory. <laughs> I was just taken, and he takes a big old drag off of his camel, filterless, by the way, camel filterless cigarette. <laughs> throws it, walks into Cook's Food Town, and I was like, he is my mentor. <laughs> I will model my life after this man. And I did. I made it through high school. My antics became renowned. I, I even as a 145-pound little piece of rebar, could outdrink most of my buddies. And here's what happened to me, having modeled my life after Jason Summers. Years and years later, having become a Christian, I went to visit the psychiatric ward where I had landed at the age of 21 with drug-induced psychosis. I'd gone to get my medical records. My wife and I were just working on some healing stuff, and I wanted to see what the ther therapist had said about where I was. And as I walked into Canyon View, this place where I had spent intensive time, there in the room was Jason Summers. And without even checking with the front desk, I just ran in there to talk to him. Jason, you don't even know me. I was in eighth grade when I was, and here you are, and you're in Canyon View. I was in Canyon View too. I, I was in here with drug-induced psychosis. How are you? Blank stare, mumbling. One of the front desk women came and ran to me quickly, and she said, don't talk to him. The, the schizophrenia has virtually taken him. He's not going to know who you are. Jason had drank and drugged himself into virtual insanity. And so I had escaped my mentor's model by God's grace. I start with this story because Paul says here very specifically in John chapter, or excuse me, John, Philippians chapter 3, Verse 17, if you have your paper Bibles on your laps, read it with me. Join together in following my example, brothers and sisters. And just as you have us as a model, keep your eyes on those who live as we do. Mentorship, modeling, mimicry, imitation. Paul, without apologies, calls the people of God to find models and imitate them that they might mature in the ways of Jesus. And he warns in this same passage that there are models and mentors that we may give our lives to that will land us in a psychiatric ward at the age of 21 with drug-induced psychosis. We are each being mentored and modeling each other in every way that you can imagine. In 1992, there was a group of Italian psyche neuroscientists and psychiatrists, and they accidentally stumbled upon what have become termed mirror neurons. They found them in a group of macaque monkeys. And over the last 25 years, there's been intensive study on these mirror neurons in human brains to the point now where researchers actually describe not just mirror neurons within the brain systems of each of us, but mirror systems. The mirror neuron or the mirror system in the human brain essentially works this way. When you see someone doing something, 
You're not doing it yourself. For example, I take a drink of my coffee. Specific neurons, a system in your brain lights up as if you were drinking the cup of coffee yourself. It is literally monkey see, monkey do, human see, human do in our neural chemistry. This is important for you and I to understand because whether you know it or not, you are seeing and doing consciously and unconsciously in your neural chemistry right now. We light up systems within each other's neural chemistry, within our very sense of being, within our framework of consciousness. And this is how we become who we are. We understand ourselves only through a sense of how we see other selves and our relationship to them. It's an absolutely incredible phenomenon. And it's powerful too. It literally can transform entire moments of our lives. Let me give you an example. Watch this. Watch my face, everybody. Right now in your brain, there's a lighting up of these mirror neurons. Watch my face, everybody. (laughs) We are modeling for one another the ways of Jesus. And we're consciously or unconsciously imitating and mimicking. And so you and I have been formed by our pastors, by our professors, by our parents. Modern psychotherapy has discovered how attachment at an early age, how our emotional structures are derived and understood and experienced from our parental models that we are following, and there's nothing we can do about it. Beyond that, what we find is that the tech giants of the modern day have biohacked into this to make a lot of money off of us. The algorithms of TikTok and Instagram, the algorithms of YouTube and Facebook, They are designed to trigger these neurons in your brain that give you a sense of acceptance, give you a sense of power, give you a sense of societal uh, allegiance to a particular group, and that is why they are so addictive. And so, as I said, the great weakness in these unconscious kind of mimicry systems where you and I, no matter what, no matter what, we are modeling somebody, the great danger in that is we can be modeling those who actually are self-destructive. We can be imitating and mimicking and basing our lives on dangerous and self-destructive patterns and behaviors. I have been watching this unfold in the Christian community for about the last five or six years in an ever-increasing way when it comes to how we are being mentored and how we are modeling our lives according to the script of society instead of the script of scriptures. The very belief that you and I must express our individual autonomous self apart from somebody else helping us know who we are was modeled for us. Does that make sense? The very belief that the most important thing for you to do is express who you are in your most inner sense of self, apart from what anybody else guiding or directing or exercising authority in that, is actually modeled for you, and you're actually just imitating. You're imitating what's, uh, we are imitating what's being given to us. This mimicry process is what's creating the great polarity in our day and age, the rage, because we are seeing, coming through our feeds, these echo chambers that immediately give us a sense that, oh, I'm on the right team. Oh, I'm saying the right things. Oh, I'm using the right words. And that modeling, that algorithm that models that creates this echo chamber to where you never are confronted with other aspects, other ideas 
And so we all take on these various uh, talking points, these ways of behavior. There's certain words that can't be spoken in certain groups. There's certain questions that can't be asked in certain groups. And that creates this polarity of uh, toxicity. And friends, you and I are being tugged into that every single day. Listen, please be humble, please. I know Gen Z, you guys are the digital natives, born and raised with a phone in your hand and an iPad in front of your face from the time you were an infant. And your neurochemistry is being affected by that. And as a Christian, you have to be aware of that. You have to know that you are unconsciously learning to mimic and parrot whatever words are being spoken in front of you. And so that brings us to this crucial question this morning. Who are you primarily being mentored and modeling? Who are you being mentored by and modeling? Because our king, if we confess to follow Jesus, said, follow me. Hear my words. Repeat my words. Do what I do. And we really are kidding ourselves. And I say this with pastoral admonition and love, but firmness of conviction. We are kidding ourselves. If we think that we can spend 40 hours a week at work surrounded by the secular script of good people who have good intentions, but not the scriptures, spend another eight to 10, some studies would show 20 hours a week on social media feeds that are feeding us algorithmic echo chamber words, patterns of behavior, talking points, spend time in our pubs, coffee shops, and bars, gyms, and then come to church for an hour and a half with 40 or 50 people, drink some coffee, eat some donuts, listen to a guy talk, sing some songs, and go back out into the world and think that we are actually speaking the words of Jesus. We're not. We have to be humble about this. This last week with the Roe v. Wade situation, just hearing and listening to both the rejoicing and the raging, the talking points within the Christian community. The Christian community just parroting the political platform talking points. No scriptures, no Jesus, honestly, no love, no gentleness, no kindness, just rage. I'm on the right side. I'm saying the right things. You're saying the wrong things. You're on the wrong side. And if you don't believe me, then you're not a Christian. Not a single scripture. Not a single word of mercy. Not a single prayer. I have not seen a single prayer. Nobody's told, I don't have any of these social media feeds. I'm, I get relays from my family and my friends. But nobody's come to me and said, you need to read this prayer that was posted on social media. <laughs> you need to pray this prayer. Jesus said, pray for your enemy. Turn the other cheek. His kingdom is not of this world. Democrat or Republican. Jesus said that he created all humanity, male and female, for a purpose. Jesus said that he came as a human, as a fetus, and he also chose to honor humanity by coming through a weak and oppressed and marginalized woman. And Jesus said that the lowliest would be exalted. And so, friends, here from this passage, Paul calls us to ask, who am I mimicking? How much am I being mentored by the ways of the world? This unconscious necessity to imitate and mimic causes us to, ha we have to ask ourselves, who am I becoming and why am I becoming this person? I know it sounds extreme to head off to a monastery for five days without your phone or without your computer. I have discovered that this is the means by which I will survive as Dan. 
and not become what the church world says I must be as a pastor or what the political world says I must be as a citizen. I have to, and maybe I'm just the weakest of the weak. I'm glad to finally just humbly acknowledge that. I have to literally separate myself from the systems because I am such a parrot. I am so weak in my sense of self that the first authoritarian figure that comes across my path, I find myself saying, that sounds really good. And then because I'm a big personality, I can make it sound really good too. But when you disappear for five days onto a mountaintop with no phone, no access, and you just sit in the stillness, first of all, it sounds really nice. It's not. It's terrifying, and it's awful for the first few days. And then you go and you sit with these monks that for thousands of years have just prayed the Psalms week in and week out. You begin to realize, oh, this is why my soul is in tatters. <laughs> I'm not living as a loved son. I'm chasing after what my mentors and models have said I must chase after. I'm not chasing after Jesus. Somehow, some way, if you don't walk away, if I just blabber on here for the next 45 minutes and you remember nothing, just take this away. This week, find some way to unplug for at least eight hours. I, I just want to challenge you. Eight hours. If that's too much, I challenge you. Four hours. No phone, no computer. Silence. Listen. Face the storm that is your torn and tattered soul and learn to be still and know that you are loved. You are more than what people tell you you should be or shouldn't be. And so, of course, Paul was a spiritual master in the way of Jesus. And this is why he said without pride or without an over-authoritarian voice, church, Philippi, follow my example. Paul, in no uncertain terms, said, I am pressing on to follow Jesus. Therefore, you, church, press on to follow Jesus. Find that mentor, find that model who has said, I am counting everything in this world and all of my former pursuits and everything that I considered my value, be that fame, be that relationships, be that money, be that position, be that power. I want to, I pray to count it all as garbage in my pursuit of knowing Jesus. Follow my example. This is what Paul says. Now, let me throw a twist into our plot this morning, friends, with this question. What will those who you are mentoring become? What, Dan? Wait, no. This whole sermon was about me finding right mentors and modeling my life and imitating those who are pursuing Jesus. Because we are unconscious in our mimicry of one another, you have a whole slew of people that are mimicking you, imitating you, following you. Young, old, peer, professor, pastors, parents. They are watching your life, your behavioral patterns. They are learning from you and they are imitating you in their unconscious neurochemistry and in their souls. Friends, to twist the plot, to turn the table. You are mentoring somebody. How are you modeling for them what this life is to look like? What will they look like following your life patterns, your behavior patterns? There's two reasons. There's two reasons that I have found in my own life why we don't ask this question, why this question is so terrifying for us. The question of what will the people that are following me, what will they look like? What will they turn out like? Here's two reasons why we never ask it. Number one, this is from my own life. I am utterly self-absorbed. 
I'm never thinking about who's following me. I'm always like, who can I follow so I can get my life right and get my soul right and not have anxiety and have peace and I'm tired of this depression and woe is me, I'm a victim. Somebody give me a mentor. And meanwhile, I have a whole slew, including an entire church that's like, okay, I guess we got to cry a lot and cry out for a mentor. And <laughs> I'm self-absorbed. And so I turn in repentance, having unplugged and gotten out of the matrix and realized, oh my gosh, I have a whole, I have, at this point, there's literally, I mean, if I really was honest about it, there's hundreds of people. And same with you, your circle of influence is hundreds of people that are unconsciously mimicking your life. So ask yourself, mentoring well starts with, whoa, I am mentoring. What will they look like? And then number two, here's the second reason that we're so terrified of asking this question. I think it's because we have this superhero mentality about mentoring. Guys, secular society has sold us a bill of goods. So in pastor world, I can't mentor somebody unless I'm leading a successful, growing church where everything is up and to the right, where I never have any problems because I'm in constant prayer and I experience the peace that surpasses understanding day in and day out. At least this is what my Instagram feeds used to tell me before I was just like, unfollow, unfollow. No, I'm out. I quit. Because all of my pastor buddies, friends, peers, mentors that I was mimicking my life after, every Sunday, the church would be absolutely packed and they just baptized 8 million people and I'm walking on water and I'd be like, how come none of this is happening for me. <laughs> Superhero. Do you know how many times I've been asked by young leaders, can you mentor me? And my, my immediate response is, dude, you do not want to be mentored by me. I'm a train wreck. I've pastored small churches my whole life. I don't know what I'm doing. Superhero model. You mamas in here and you mamas to be, when that time comes, if it comes for you by God's grace and will, you've been sold a bill of goods. You've been sold a bill of goods. I think that the empowerment and liberation and call to women to lead is the most biblical and noble thing that modern church is doing in so many ways. But at the same time, there has been this very subtle diminishment of the call to motherhood and tenderness and the rearing and raising, especially of little humans in the ways of Jesus. And so here's how secular society and our Instagrams feed you mamas. You have this incredible career with a house that is always kept perfectly with the most modern trend, always perfectly framed in the right light, usually about five o'clock in the evening when this light's coming through the sun, the, wind's the sun's coming through the window just right. Your children are each four, four inches respectively in height <laughs> below each other. Somehow on your Instagram feeds, they're always, they never have like macaroni and cheese in their ears. They're just like perfectly eating their little macaroni and cheese, always dressed in, you know, ethically sourced clothing that cost about $8 million. Oh, you also work 40 hours a week on your high-end career while you've raised these incredible children. You also have a husband that absolutely adores you, worships the ground that you walk on. Oh, by the way, you're also super fit. Even though you've had three babies, you have six-pack abs and are able to be a bikini model. Lies. You are his daughter. You're his daughter. With stretch marks and laundry on the floor and a kid with macaroni in his nose and a husband that's like, where's dinner that you're irritated with? because you're telling him he needs to learn how to cook. It's 2022, you idiot. <laughs> Superheroes, you students, man, you kids, geez. 
You kids are supposed to have your lives perfectly put together by the time you're 18. You've got your career path. You've got your marriage path. You've already got like six slots on your white picket fence. You've got your dog and your cat, what style they will be, what breed they will be. You've got which house you will live in. And if somebody asks you, oh, what are your plans as you get through college? And you are like, I don't know. Mm-hmm. You're falling apart, aren't you? <laughs> you have this model given to you, you kids at SDSU. You, you are modeled with these, these kind of frat sorority folks. And if you're in a frat or sorority, God bless you, love you. I'm not judging that. I'm just saying somehow you're supposed to be able to do keg stands and keep yourself in control and be a respectable human being. <laughs> Superhero models. Listen, this is backwards, and this is where I really want this point to land. This superhero model of mentorship, who are you mentoring? It's backwards from Christian mentorship, and this is what I mean. Jesus didn't mentor in this way. Jesus, in his moment of greatest breaking, greatest fear, greatest overwhelm, our king, the king of the universe, the creator of all things, who came as a zygote, fetus, human in a womb, born man, in his most broken moment, he didn't fake it. He didn't Instagram his glossy moment and say, look how great everything is. Instead, he mentored those closest to him by letting them see his brokenness. Mark tells us this. He took Peter, James, and John along with him, and he begged, and he, or, <clears throat> and he began to be deeply distressed and troubled. And he said to them, stay here and keep watch. Right the night before Jesus was to be crucified, in his humanness, he was terrified We know he was confused. He literally quotes Psalm 22 from the cross. Why have you abandoned me? He felt utterly forsaken by his father. And he mentored those closest to him, not by standing with his chest tall, I'm going to the cross for you, gentlemen. This is going to be amazing. He wept. He fell before God in the garden with his brothers, falling asleep at his side after he had invited him, come pray with me, come break with me, come weep with me, come be overwhelmed with the wounds of this world with me. Pete Gregg comments, Jesus wanted his three best friends by his side in his darkest hour. He didn't try to put on a brave face. He didn't pretend to be okay. He chose to include them in his distress and even ask them to watch over him in prayer. I experienced this this last week deeply in profound ways. There is a strong temptation towards self-isolation when our souls are overwhelmed. We want to roll up like a hedgehog or hide away alone, but Jesus modeled the opposite, actively involving his friends, drawing them into his private grief, and engaging their support in prayer. If you are following Jesus, your mentees that you are mentoring, they will see what it is like to wrestle with doubt and to cry out and say, I still trust. You will teach them by your life patterns what it is to break down and have a snot fest cry in their midst because you're so overwhelmed with life and you'll close that cry, wiping the snot from your nose, tears from your eyes, and you'll say, and I trust my father. They will see what it's like to be confused and disoriented uncertain, not put together, and I am loved by Jesus. I am cared for by my God. I am filled with the Holy Spirit. Do you see that our mentorship first starts in our brokenness? They will see what it's like for their mentor to fall and ask for forgiveness, for their mentor to sin and receive forgiveness through the blood, the crucifixion, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus. They will learn to be Christian, not superheroes. They will learn to be weak children, not superheroes. They will learn to be vulnerable, broken, confused 
humans that are limited in scope, but trust and look to their limitless Father. Be at ease, mentors. Let them model brokenness and weakness and fear and uncertainty. Pray in front of them. For children, it's so important at age-appropriate levels. My kids are now virtually all adults, and they have been welcomed into the world that is Dan's brokenness, trusting Jesus. And the world and even my own flesh would tell me, you're really screwing these kids up and their Christianity up. And when I really get still and quiet, I'm like, no, I would rather them be able to see this and experience this and grow in this. And so we close with this. Because of Jesus' cross and love for us, as we break, as we mentor, and as we are mentored, which, by the way, if your mentor has it all put together, run. (laughs) Just run, because they're lying. You're being duped. You're being sold a bill of goods. Find somebody who's got a lot of snot coming out of their nose because they can't stop crying and say, I'll follow you. I'll I'll do what you're doing. As we close... This brokenness does lead to maturity. Verses 15 and 16. We're just going to read through the text, and then we're going to come to prayer. Verses 15 and 16. Paul says, all of us who are mature should take such a view of things, meaning this maturity for Paul was marked by, I count this life as garbage, and now I'm going to pursue Jesus. I'm going to press on to the goal. I'm going to suffer with Jesus. I'm going to resurrect with Jesus. That's maturity. And then Paul says, and if at some point you think differently, that too God will make clear to you. In other words, where we are being mentored by the world, where we're taking our cues from the political talking points where our peers are exerting more influence on us than our church and our family in the church, the Holy Spirit will say to you, turn from this lying mentor and trust me. Turn from this. The Holy Spirit will always be pursuing us and waking us up. I have blind spots right now this morning that I trust at some point I will come clear on in God's timing as I continue to follow him and as you continue to follow him. Verses 17 and 18, take inventory, friends. Take inventory. Paul says, keep your eyes on us as models. And then verse 18, I've told you before now, and I tell you again, even with tears, many live as the enemies of the cross of Christ. I told my wife coming down, I know I'm talking a lot, the monastery really affected me, but coming down off the mountain, my first phone call with her was the night before I left, and I used one of their little phones in the office. And I tried to explain, it feels like I'm leaving a crystal clear pool that's still, and you can see all the way to the bottom, it's brilliant blue, there's sunlight. I'm immersed in this crystal clear stillness and softness. And now coming down the mountain, I'm going to be tossed into a toilet bowl that's being flushed. That's what we're surrounded by. I know the imagery is graphic, but the enemies of the cross of Christ intentional and unintentional, have extremely powerful loud voices. Their God is their belly, Paul tells us. They hunger continually for more fame, more wealth, more power, more you be on my team, you speak my political ideology, you speak my language, and you resist and you war against more, more, more. Hunger for more lust, more sex, more food, more everything. It is, Paul says, mentors who are focusing us wholly on this earth. But if we're truly to be modeling our life after Paul, verses 19 and 20, we are citizens of heaven. Their destiny is destruction, their God is their stomach, and their glory is in their shame. 
their mind is set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. A final comment on this before we come to communion to pray. This looking to heaven, citizens of heaven, waiting for Jesus to return and transform our bodies, this is the opposite of escape. This is the opposite of escape. We actually now are conduits, citizens of heaven. In the Roman Empire, a translation of this could be, we are a colony of heaven. So the Roman Empire would go and take ground, and then they would plant a Roman colony representative of the Roman Empire. They would put Roman authorities and magistrates in that colony. They would put Roman soldiers in that colony. They would put Roman politicians and accountants and Roman workmen in that colony. And that colony would become an expression of Rome in the midst of the surrounding society until that society was consumed by Rome. We are a colony of heaven. With all the negative sense of the word colony. We are, in the best sense, a colony of heaven. We root ourselves. This community of people here, we are a colony of heaven. We represent the king. We have our gifts that we have been given to mentor this world and to saturate this world in the kingdom of God. And we are waiting for our bodies to be transformed, not to escape to heaven, but for our bodies to be transformed into a fully on earth as it is in heaven, new creation.